0: What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome
1: to Dropping In, everyone. It's Christmas week, and no better time to start tolerating others well and to prize your significant other, partner, or spouse. If you want to learn how to leave troubles behind and cultivate the positives in your relationship, read the book, Love in Any Language, a memoir of a cross-cultural marriage by today's guest, Evelyn Cole Latore, it's out now from She Writes Press. Welcome, Evelyn. Great to have you with us.
2: Thank you, and happy holidays. And I want to say you're the Terry Gross of memoirists. <laughs> For, you know, Terry Gross on NPR. <laughs> so funny.
1: So funny. And fresh air. I love the way she says fresh air. Um, it always sounds just like so fresh. Okay. Yeah. Um, she is. She. Yeah, she's an idol of mine for sure. Um, and uh, first off, I I just want to commend you for your work um, as a teacher, a counselor, a school psychologist, um, which I learned through reading. Love in any oh, language. Yes. Uh, you you've worked with severely developmentally challenged and handicapped kids you found ways to have the system work for every group. And I, I wondered, kind of first off, was your travel experience as a Peace Corps volunteer, which you wrote about in Between Inca Walls, your first book, was that experience as a Peace Corps volunteer instrumental in instilling a sensibility, one of inclusion, that maybe not everyone is living in a first world, able-bodied or affluent place, how did that experience come to inform you and your career?
2: Well, as you know, when you write a memoir, like, like you did also, which is great, I just finished reading it, um, you really have to look inside yourself, and so as I analyzed my life up to this point, I could see where my childhood in Montana and my parents' values in. Inst- inspired me to go into the Peace Corps. So it's hard to say where it started. Um, and I think the move from Montana to California piqued my curiosity about other cultures because in Montana there were no other cultures that I knew of. I mean, there was a farm culture, which I was grateful that I, I knew about, and the ranch culture. But uh, then when I went to, into the Peace Corps in Peru, well, I'd gone to Mexico before that. So it was like steps it was like stair steps mm-hmm. one thing kind of led to the other and as opportunities came along i just welcomed them except as, mm-hmm. as you can see in the beginning of this book it it it, all, it kind of i thought i thought motherhood and marriage might stop all of that so it was yes. interesting <laughs>
1: what's happened since. So, um, I yes, I thought that the book was very instructive in terms of what women went through um, in that time, the seventies, when you know you, it wasn't either or proposition. That seems so ludicrous now, um, but yeah. in those decades, those short, brief period of decades that's passed, it's become so de rigueur and so acceptable to have both a career and children in marriage, but then it was really thought of as something that you chose, and I wondered how you sidestepped uh, in your mind's eye that dilemma, or were you, as you just said, taking one step at a time?
2: Well, I was taking one step at a time, and I don't, I didn't feel like I, had actually chosen it on one side i had chosen it because i got educated and that was my father's idea to send his four daughters to college as well as his two sons and and because i had uh, a ba at the time uh one of the professors uh, of my major sociology just kind of expected all of us to go on to graduate school for some reason and and so i did and so, having more and more education meant that i you know i needed I wanted to use it, and I think I did want a career, but as you could read, I was really, really torn between staying home and raising my my boys, which I felt I should do, and I wanted to do on one level, uh, but on the other level, uh, having a career was very satisfying, and I actually had no choice because uh, like a lot of immigrants who come to this country, it's not easy learning the language and learning how to interview for jobs. And um, at the same time, my husband from Peru was getting his education, and I had not expected that it would take eight years for him to to get the education that he got. Um, it happened that the university did not accept any of his credits, I don't think. Because it took him four years to get his BA and then another two years to get his master's. so And then he felt he was employable, and then he found out that nobody would employ him full-time. So all that time, I worked full-time. Uh, we also yes. took a lot of risks, too. Uh, I, I just, in looking back at my life, I, I said to somebody the other day, can you believe that we bought a house based on my Income and at the time I was working part time. Now I had to go full time to qualify to buy the house. But I mean that nobody would do that in this day and age. Partly because houses cost a lot more. And I also had a lot of advantages that I really wish uh, the legislature would would look at, uh, like uh, sliding scale for childcare when I was at the university. I mean we could afford. Yes. All these things because
1: we qualified for food stamps.
2: I uh, got a scholarship to college. We lived in uh, student housing, which was hundred dollars a month. Um, I, I don't. I don't know that anybody could do that in this day and age. So, so I had. I, think, I had yeah. some advantages. They didn't last all. All you know, they lasted for a few years, and then we were on our own. But still, that helped get us a good start.
1: Well, it just points out the need for a leg up, right? Your husband was immigrating from Peru. You were coming back. Necessity was the mother of invention. You um, were pregnant when you returned from Peru. You were married because um, you you married in a chapel there um, without the attendance of your family, but it sounded like a beautiful ceremony, um, and very personal, very intimate. Um, and you and your husband, you know, decided to make a life in America that necessitated being a, a mother and a wife and a breadwinner. So in some ways, you were on the frontier by necessity, by some, in some ways, maybe by Inspiration and motivation, because I, I don't think you have any lack of motivation. Well, and it seemed as though you were always very curious, inquisitive about other worlds, other cultures, um, and um, and that and that served you well. Uh, Let I, me I really, huh? Yeah,
2: no. I was go ahead. just going to say one one other thing that I that just occurred to me was the process of my husband getting a green card was much simpler then. Than it is today, other Peace Corps volunteers uh, have a harder time if they decide to bring uh, to marry here. first of all, they wisely the uh, intended spouse comes up to the United States to see if if they want to live in the United States. My husband just took it on face value from what he had known in the movies and the Peace Corps people he knew and because he loved me. <laughs> Which Which is a big right. thing, which I have always appreciated is is just how much well i haven 't always appreciated you can tell that in the book how uh, how much he gave up, um, but I could tell whenever we went back how how he loved his culture still does still he right now he is studying Quechua to become more fluent than he already was, which is the indigenous language, and partly he loves studying languages but um I don't know if if we'll go back and, and he'll be able to use the language. So it's 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 partly who I married and partly my drive, and partly just solving one problem as it, you know as they came up, we just I either solved it or we solved them together.
1: And I think that you know you were as you say you've come to an, a point of appreciation. I really feel as though if people out there want to try to figure out that that thing, appreciation of others when, you know, they're on your, they're driving your last, they're on your last nerve and your partner is making you crazy and it's that time of year when everybody has to be cheerful anyway. Um, But I, I think it's a great book. I think it's a great book to read for that reason. Um, and your dedication is to your husband, it says, for my husband who left all he knew to journey with me through this adventure called life. Um, I, I think it, it is remarkable that you had a certain trust in one another to figure things out and a certain um, belief that things would work out, um, which I, I, I can't, There's, you know, it's hard to really, downplay that when you make such, such a big life change. In your book, you, you say, um, by living in other cultures, you can learn a lot. Oh, well, this is also on your website that I noticed, which is a beautiful site, where you can meet Evelyn Cole Latore. By living in other cultures, you can learn a lot about your own, is a statement from the website, and to me, it also paraphrases the thought in the book which you, you know, cite that anthropologists say that one must immerse oneself in another world to truly understand oneself. And I wondered what understandings you felt as though you had come to through journeying to other worlds.
2: Well, I'd start with knowledge of myself and what I was capable of doing uh, one of the things my husband and I have done is we've lived a total of about a year in Italy, and we've learned Italian. And I think we're starting to forget some of it because we haven't been back with, with the pandemic. But um, so you learn that your, your mind is capable of more than you might have imagined. And then you learn that there are many other perfectly good ways of eating and having a house. Uh, you know, as you know, because you've been to Europe... Uh, there aren't all single-family dwellings with lawns in front. I live in California, and just this, today we're taking out our front lawn. So um, I, I, that you can learn that there are other ways of, of living and, and better ways, better ways. And then you see your own country from a, a different point of view. I am fairly critical of some of the policies that I see uh, the U.S. have, and you can... I, that comes about because you don't have the filter of the U.S. press in between, or that you don't have a filter of what you're being told. You you can see what uh, how other people see you, or you and your country, and almost always uh, Americans are are endured uh, and not endured, but uh, looked up to, and and thought highly I mean, of, whether we deserve it or not. <laughs> uh, and I think exactly. you know. Uh, uh, We do deserve some of that, but the big difference, I think, uh, going back to my marriage, is that um, I grew up with a real work ethic, and that served Mm -hmm. me well, but by marrying someone from another culture who didn't believe that he had to be, you know, earning tons of money, I mean, I didn't really either, but somehow I got, it was so easy to get into that you know, a wheel that goes around and around, the hamster wheel, and especially moving back to the United States from Peru. And um, whenever we go to other countries, we see most other countries have a pretty relaxed way of being, at least the way we observe it, that family is very important. And they don't always move all over the country alone and and away from their extended families. So... um, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that, that we we've just taken in by osmosis maybe.
1: Well, I think that you've made you've touched on a number of really important points. Um I'm we're broadcasting uh from Switzerland. I'm in Switzerland right now. Oh. And when the Swiss are um when they when our Swiss family uh it sounds like Swiss family Robinson <laughs> many people are too, too how, well, really, are too young to to know about that. <laughs> Such a funny mm-hmm. funny title. I knew anyway, about it. I Smith read family. it. <laughs> yeah, when our Swiss family comes to the United States, and especially to Florida, where we are in the um, winter months, um, except for the holidays, um, they often comment on the size of the houses. You know, as you know, America and consumerism—it's never big enough. So the gigantic houses in you know around um, around us in Saint Petersburg, Florida, most often the comment is is that a multifamily home? No, that must be more than one family living in that huge house. And then you say, well, not not really. Um, you know, it it is very interesting to see the world through another lens. And as you say, just being able to see other ways of being. I wonder from, you know, your, you know, knowledge and perception of that, how you think the pandemic and the restriction of travel and maybe even the restriction of travel for kids who are not able to do so or, you know, adults starting out not able to do so, how, how is this going to impact our worldview if we really haven't been able to get up and move around?
2: Well, I think the hope is that we will become more introspective. I don't know that that's happening. Um, In the beginning, I wrote an article, I think it was in Conscious Connection that it was published, where I said... uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, that I was prepared for, it from having lived in another country, because when you live in another country, you feel somewhat isolated until you learn the language and until you get to know people, and and even then, you you you're different. You're it's just different, um, and uh, and and I liked actually not having obligations outside the house where I was going to one meeting after another. Now, after two years of this, I have to say, <laughs> um, I I do appreciate it, but I don't want it to keep going on. We just had to cancel a trip that my husband uh, recommended. Now, this I couldn't believe because if you read the book, he doesn't travel with my, me uh, all the time. Well, rarely. We have to really convince him to, to like go to the state, par- the national parks, and uh, uh-huh. then there's a, a, a passage, which I'm, wor- I'm working on a third book, and I don't know how what, how much of it I'm going to put in there, but uh, the two months that I took my two teenagers, one was 14 and one was 18, and we toured seven countries in Europe, and my husband didn't want to go, so w- earlier in the year when he said, well, let's go to Morocco at Christmas, now I think part of that oh. was because he doesn't, like all the hubbub and the hustle and bustle and I tend to get tense or I used to because I used to have my extended family come and and set a table for 17 and I, I everything had to be perfect everything had to be perfect that's just my personality type and I and I couldn't make it perfect so so he, that part he, he remembers. So this year he suggested that we go to Morocco. Well, with the uh, Omicron variant, Morocco closed their borders almost immediately, and did, we didn't know when they would be reopened. So that trip was postponed. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, so we still like to travel. I still like to, to travel. But I kind of do like uh, it's a good atmosphere in which to write. Two years ago, I was just publishing my first book, and it really allowed me the downtime. It forced me to have the downtime to finish my second book. Um, I think I've mentioned it several times, maybe not to you, but the first book took me many years to write, maybe 14 years, partly because I was traveling off, and then I'd have to come back and restart and reread and rewrite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and, and I had journals to write that. The second book came about because you and others said, well, what happened after after you got married? And I had yes. already written another couple of chapters, and I thought, well, I'll just keep going. Of course, I, those first two chapters got thrown out long ago, and I, my editor and I worked on a different beginning. As, as you know, you, you have to work on these things. But But the year, because I only had a year, and at the same time, I was... I didn't know I was going to have to publicize my first book in order for people to buy it. I didn't even know I wanted people to buy it. But once I had published it, and people were saying that they liked it, I thought, okay, well, I, I'll do this. And the good thing is, I learned a whole lot about publishing. And one thing I learned is not to write a second book and publish
1: it a year after your first book because it, it really—it's <laughs> like tragedies. You, you really should time them, yeah, a little bit. So, a little space in between. Well, Between Inca Walls is great, and Love in Any Language is just a great continuation. So, we will continue the conversation with Evelyn Cole-Latorre. When we come back from a commercial break, don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at deweycom That's Diane at deweycom Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back everyone. We're
1: here with Evelyn Cole Touré, who joined the Peace Corps upon graduation from Holy Names College and was assigned to Peru, where she taught physical education, English, and you organized 4-H clubs. She married her husband, a Peruvian university student in Cusco, Peru, in June 1966. Two sons were born, Tony in 1967 and Tim in 1971. During the years, Evelyn worked for the Alameda County Welfare Department and completed a master's degree in social welfare at UC Berkeley. She worked for San Francisco schools as a bilingual school social worker until she obtained a psychology credential at Cal State Hayward in 1973. Antonio, her husband, worked as a computer program analyst. So, for 20 years, you were a school psychologist in Fremont and San Jose. Um, You completed a doctoral degree at the University of San Francisco in 1983, taught part-time between various universities between 1984 and 1990, including classes in bilingual assessment for the National Hispanic University in Guadalajara, Mexico. You were named Director of Special Education for San Jose Unified in 1990 and concluded 32 years' work in education after eight years as a Special Education Administrator for the Contra Costa County Office of Education. Evelyn and her family visit Peru often, uh, and for two months during 1985, you journeyed with your sons to eight European countries, fearlessly. I might add, you and your husband continue to travel, often living abroad to learn a new language, as you mentioned, Italian. To date, the couple has visited 80 countries. For exercise, they take ballroom dancing classes, gardening, and walk daily around Lake Elizabeth in Fremont, where they've lived since 1973. Okay, I'm exhausted, but congratulations on that long and accomplished list. I, I really, I do... I do have it to you, and I, I think one of the things that came out in the book um, was this kind of fearlessness, being able to say, okay, Antonio, you want to stay in Peru now, I'm headed back to the States, I'm going to start, you know, uh, my, my, my job, my or take the kids for two months to Europe. I mean, there's a kind of fearlessness in you, Evelyn, that I think is indigenous, that I think was maybe there all along, maybe from your upbringing on the farm and, and, you know, you have to take risks every day, you're saving calves, you're, you know, you see nature um, in all its cycles. But, I mean, that initial impulse even to go into the Peace Corps upon graduation, there was something brave in that. Um, Did you feel brave at the time? Well,
2: um. I no, not at all, and I still don't. And now we've traveled to over a hundred countries because we we've, we've traveled a lot since that little thing was written. But um, no, uh, and and it I would like to say that it came internally. But at age 21, I had a crush on a guy named Tom because we would go down to work with Cesar Chavez in um, Fresno in in the Fresno area. And one day, Tom wasn't there, and this is in my first book. And I said to the priest who was in charge of our our program, I said, well, where's Tom? And he said, oh, he went into the Peace Corps in Peru. And so when my application came, now I did apply on my own because I had heard, because I'd been to Mexico and I loved doing what I was doing, working with the people there. I loved the culture. And so the Peace Corps was fairly new. And then I was a candidate, I was a delegate to a. Catholic College conference in Minnesota and heard Sergeant Shriver speak. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll apply to the Peace Corps. and but, but the reason I put Peru was because of hormones. <laughs> so yes, Tom was uh, there. <laughs> yes, right. And I did meet up with Tom one of the first days I was there and decided, nope, I, I don't think this is... I, 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 I think I was more interested in learning new things. And I was going to the Sierra where He kind of intimated that he wished he'd been sent. He was on the coast. There were a lot of volunteers that did a lot of good stuff on the coast. But I was fortunate. I was one of seven of our group, I think, that was sent to uh, the Cusco area. But I have to tell you, uh, I want to just mention the serendipity of life, because I think the last time we talked, that was a, something that I'm always amazed by. Uh, the other day, I, this Amigos Anonymous group that I went to Mexico with, we continue to support students who are studying in Mexico. So we get together every month. Now, now we do it on Zoom. Uh, but we did have a, an in-person get-together, a barbecue in October, and uh, a couple was there, and I had my books. They wanted my books. And uh, they said, oh, by any chance, oh, you were in Peru. By any chance, do you know a guy named Tom? Do you know <gasps> this Amigos Anonymous couple had, had met Tom and we were good friends with him. And this was the same Tom that, that I had gotten. Oh my to gosh. Know. So I gave him a couple of uh, 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 bookmarks to give to him and tell him that he's the reason my books exist and my marriage exists practically because I went to Peru.
1: <laughs> so, That's anyway. not always uh-huh. what happens when you meet an attractive boy and try to follow them to Peru. But, yes, quite an <laughs> unfolding. I love it. Well, my circle.
2: It me about Tom. Oh, you really were in love with Tom. I was not. I, I, I was attracted to him. I did have a crush on him. But like I said, the adventure was more attractive to me than settling down. And that was true even when I married. I, I still was quite adventuresome. And you had mentioned Swiss Family Robinson, and you, you picked a, a thing that I, I often credit my uh, desire to learn about new places is the reading. I, I remember reading Swiss Family Robinson and, and loving how they lived on their own in a tree. And, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I just was attracted to, the, to that way of life where you take on uh, adventures and obstacles and do things differently. And so I think it was mm-hmm. the reading of books early in my life that really formed a lot of who I became. Who knows? Who knows? But I yeah. mean, some of it is there no. innately. But when I look at my siblings, they didn't do what I did. So there must have been of something different about me.
1: <laughs> so. Well, I think you, yeah, you were open. You, you, you had this sense of adventure. And also, I mean, I, I agree with you. I remember Swiss Family Robinson as well. And, you know, one of the things that I thought about in reading this, um, you know, you describe books as other worlds. And truly, if you are, you know, a, a teenager, stranded you know, that's how I felt anyway, stranded in a suburban community with your family and, you know, how am I ever mm-hmm. going to get out? Well, open the pages of a book and at least mentally you could escape, you know, to wonderful places and, um, and then maybe enjoy your family even more when you didn't have to become a castaway. Um, but, you know, the thing that I notice about, um, your husband, uh, in, in book Antonio, and also the culture that I um, enjoy through my husband, which is which is Swiss. It also emerged that my biological father was Swiss. Um, which, though, I definitely do believe in serendipity. But, you know, is the sense of time, Evelyn. It's such a different sense of time to be in Europe or to be in Peru. And maybe that's why it takes eight years to get the, the degrees. And meanwhile, as an American, you're wondering, when's this going to happen? You know, when's he going to get a diploma? I certainly have lots of relations here who've spent, you know, a decade in school. Um, you know, it's, it's something where it takes what it takes. It is what it is. Um, you know, coffee can take three hours in the afternoon. So um, I, I wondered about your, your feeling about some of the cultural differences, whether you thought that a sense of time was one of them, and how that played out with your sons as well. I was very curious about that.
2: Well, I think in some... Cultures, it's more important to be authentic in who you are and use your own internal clock as opposed to my feeling that that I needed to be doing something all the time, I needed to be doing something worthwhile. I kind of think that's our culture, that uh, that, mm-hmm. that you're not somebody until you have a career or until you, I mean, I think that's why... I think women are not esteemed enough in this society by making other choices, um, and then it's, their lives are made difficult by not having what they need if they want to pursue their career. I mean, are anyway, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. With with my sons, uh, my my oldest son's wife thanked me at one time for having raised him to be the kind, gentle person that he is. Now I think. Some of that is hereditary. He's very much like his father, very uh, caring. And and, uh, and and both of them are very open. They're more flexible. They are very open to other cultures. The younger one kind of took after me and traveled for many, many years, lived a year in Peru with his grandparents, and um, still likes traveling. It's just there's, there's mm-hmm. something about you get the travel bug and you want to go. The, the older one does not. Um, But they're both very flexible and I think appreciate other cultures. And I'm very proud of the way they have uh, grown. I mean, the youngest one is 50 and the oldest one is about to turn 55. So they're not youngsters anymore. And I have to keep remembering that uh, because uh, (laughs) I have to depend on both of them for all the social media and and helping me with with computer stuff i mean this zoom stuff has got me going crazy but um oh yeah like for one one of my book launches i couldn't i couldn't get on the site there was so much security i could not get on the site for the to this bookstore for my own book launch i mean i was so embarrassed and my youngest son says mom it's I get panicky is what happens with it. And so, I mean, they help me out with that. So they do news, some things. I often wish, now, well, you know, I don't know if you do this, but I, I think, okay, how was I with my parents when I was 50? You know, I was working, I was into my career, I saw my parents often because I lived near them, which was good. But I don't know that I was curious about what they were doing or if they had written books because my Family tends to be the least of my fans in terms of the book. They say they lived it with me. They don't need to read the book. So uh, that's fine. That's fine. But, <laughs> it's so funny. But, well, uh, but no, yes. they, they, I, my kids don't. One lives in New York on Shelter Island, and the other one lives in Los Angeles. And with the pandemic, I see the younger one. He's now single, and um, he, he just was here for Thanksgiving, which was nice.
1: So, uh, yeah, they're very
2: loving, caring young men, or older men. I don't know, middle-aged men now, I guess you'd say.
1: We can always stay young and I'll always be happy to be, you know, young, uh, young at heart. Anyway, Shelter Island is a beautiful place. Uh, I yes. think the thing I, I'm curious about, um, you know, because you, you mentioned otherness and and a, as a way to investigate um, both yourself and the country in which we live, you know, in, in relation to other countries, I, I think all of that's, you know, really important information. I, I wonder about... Um, in the previous, uh, you know, presidency in particular, um, the sense of otherness as a en- source of anxiety. Um, you know, there's also, you know, I, I-, I say you're, you're very open because I think there are some influences that are entering the cultural mainstream that are not open and that, if anything, are getting, like, closed down towards mm-hmm. a sense of otherness and being fearful of it. I mean, when you notice this kind of evolution, uh, how does that make you feel being, being who you are?
2: It, it, it seems like we're going backwards sometimes uh, with certain ways of thinking. Um, I mean, I can remember the 60s, and I didn't realize this until I started to write the second book at the things that had tried to stop me from being who I wanted to be. And then in the 90s, you know, I mean, it, it kept opening me up, and I'm speaking mostly for women. And uh, like, I went from the free speech movement at UC Berkeley to women's liberation, and I think my identity and my life has been forged by those movements. And so, when I see people clamping down on what women can do with their bodies, and uh, I, I did hear recently that some of the objection to the the uh, bill that isn't passing Congress has to do with uh, subsidizing child care because some of the men in Congress feel that women's place is in the home. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And that's the oh. kind of toxic, toxic maxu- uh, masculinity that I think exemplifies a lot of our culture. Now, there is what you could call toxic masculinity in in other cultures that, that I know of, but it doesn't it seems like women still can speak and, and, and of course they don't have as many advantages materially as we do, but spiritually there's something spiritual that we could learn from and not be so selfish that you know, let people be who they need to be and uh, right. it, it really doesn't walk all over other people's rights most of the time, as far as I can figure out. I mean, it's like the gay movement. I mean, uh, that came upon us during this time, and I didn't speak to that, but um, I have relatives who, who changed their identity that way, and that's fine. You know, let people be who they feel they need to be.
1: So, Definitely. Uh, well, I truly and, and agree with the I, idea that Oh, I was just going uh, to say, gonna say, I truly agree with the idea that a woman's place is in the home office, um, <laughs> but the rest of it that. Is, is, is galling, right?
2: Yeah, it's part of, you know, uh, they think, some people think that they'll be happier by curtailing other people's happiness, and that's just mm-hmm. not the case. I think we're happier when we, when we you know, exalt other people's, uh, you know, advances and and what makes them happy and fulfilled. I don't think exactly. we always know what's going to make us fulfilled. Again, the introspection has to come. And I have to say, mm-hmm. my youngest son got me back to meditating, and it's really great. That's now, I, I had done meditation. I think I mentioned it in my second book, because I did a lot of mm-hmm. self-development programs. Uh, but I, I was getting anxious over something, and I didn't think it was COVID. Well, you know, yeah. I think you're right i think I think that yeah. was part of it, but I was called upon to do so much on Zoom that I just didn't i just didn't trust that I would be able to to do and again, he yeah. helped me through it but uh I, I don't i'm not a big i like Zoom I think we're gonna be Zobiees for a long time but um i I don't do it really well, so that's why I'm kinda
1: glad to. We're not on Zoom, <laughs> so now. Well, I mean, we we would be actually, but um, it wasn't working. So um, we're going to pause oh. for a commercial <laughs> break. The um, the the anxiety that that comes from technology um, it seems to be you know pretty limitless. Um, but when we come back from the commercial break, we're going to give people through our guest Evelyn Colatore, the secret to a happy marriage. <laughs> I promise because I I gleaned a lot of it from this book Love in Any Language. Don't go away, we'll be right back on dropping in. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit BooksForward.com or send us an email at info at BooksForward.com, a JKS communications company. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianduey.com. That's diane at diane-dewey.com. Now, back to dropping in.
1: Hey, everybody. We're here with the amazing Evelyn Cole Latour, author of Love in Any Language. In it, you write, Quote, we were as different as our countries. Antonio reflected his Latin heritage, generous, considerate, unassuming, and family-oriented with a strong love ethic. I mirrored my U.S. culture, extroverted, forceful, confident, and and goal-oriented with a strong work ethic. Marrying a man from a different culture resulted in a bigger challenge than I'd expected, We had the same desire for higher learning, but not the same ability to support our family. So in the late 1960s, a period when middle-class women with husbands and children seldom held down full-time demanding jobs, I became a reluctant working mother. At first, I resented having to work full-time and my husband's seeming lack of ambition. You came to view Antonio differently through a different lens you've filtered i would say from what what i would call a strengths strengths based appraisal that is you started to look at your husband's strengths as opposed to dwelling on the negatives which you know turn out to be a dead end street um i wonder if you if you feel as though that kind of focus on what the person has to offer is really part of the secret of having a happy marriage.
2: Yes, and respecting the the differences, not trying to change them. I think in the beginning of the book, it, you maybe could see where I, I I was unhappy because I wanted him to be ambitious. I wanted him, him to have you know a lot of ambition, and he he has some of that, but not in the way what I would say the typical American man that I had dated before had. And so I was trying to turn him into that, trying desperately to make mm-hmm. him be more American until I realized I had rejected those qualities in other American men. I mean, I, right. I didn't marry an American man. I, I, I married someone of a different culture. And and I think the trips back to Peru and, and loving the culture myself, and feeling so cared about in that culture. Uh, There's a point at which I've noticed that my husband, because of all the rejections he was getting from places where he would apply for jobs, and mostly because he couldn't exaggerate his abilities, which is kind of what we're taught to do. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, And so by going back and getting in touch with what I loved about that culture, I got in touch with what I loved about him. And he also got in touch with that part of himself. I don't know if he realizes that because he's not writing his memoirs. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I, I really do appreciate the qualities that he has. And our sons appreciate that. Uh, one of them will say, you know, Mom, I, I did your part for a long time. Now I'm changing and, and, and do, being more like Dad is. And so they're both, Duke, my husband eventually got a job as a computer program analyst, was a very loyal worker to his own detriment. There are chapters I didn't put in where he uh, almost died a couple times from from the amount of pressure that you get working in Silicon Valley. He, he, he could do that, but it took a toll on his body, and he, he's okay now. But um, I saw him through two serious illnesses, and I do think they were brought on from this work-work-worth, you know, that the company is the most important thing in your life type of attitude.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. So I lost kind of the train of thought that I, I was going for. But anyway, I, di- I did begin to appreciate his different qualities. And I have to tell you, we've been retired now for 20 years, and I'm especially appreciative of his qualities in retirement because we just enjoy. We're together 24 hours a day, and we, we love it. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we don't really get on each other's nerves, and I i guess that's because he has always let me do my thing. And, in fact, there, I think he admires a lot of my qualities, and I admire his qualities, and, um, and you know, we just uh, allow each other to be who we are. And that's another thing I was going to bring up. I think... Both of us, because of our rural upbringing, and maybe because we were in nature a lot, I don't know where this comes from, but I think early on, very early in both our lives, we kind of knew who we were. I certainly Mm -hmm. think I learned that because my parents sent me away to high school to live on my own when I was 13. And people these days are saying, isn't that child abuse? (laughs) Isn't that child neglect? Well, no, I mean, they wanted me to go to a Catholic high school, and the only one was 60 miles away, and so I had to live, I had to live away, and I lived in apartments, usually with another girlfriend, But um, but we had to figure out things for ourselves, and I had to do that very early on, figure out how to do things and get around things and get through things, and it taught me who I was, and so as I progressed in life, I just solidified more. I just knew what I wanted.
1: So, yes, and you had taken that step early on to separate from your family, and maybe that was formative too, Evelyn. Uh, I think that this, you know, ability to respect the distance and and your you know your, your family wanted you to have this education, a specific kind of education, and put like the goals of that ahead of the need to be you know cloistered together. Oh, she can't leave. She can't leave us. Um, you know, you know, not like the hovering kind of parent, but rather the open arms of a parent that says, "Go, be who you are, uh, even if yeah. it's on my prescription of where you should go to school." Um, I think that's a different inclination, and I love that you mentioned that you were both, you know, very um, in nature, because I felt like there were some primal. Commonalities between you and your husband Antonio, and and one of them struck me as you're both basically fundamentally not materialistic. Um, right. You know. You know. As you say, you assimilate certain things from American culture, but basically you put your connections with others as people ahead of that value, and you both valued your connections, and I think it sounded as though you both. Uh, reconnected both with one another and that sense of warmth and human connection when you went to Peru. So if people don't have that well to draw on, you know, is it not harder to make a marriage work long term?
2: Well, I think a lot of the dissatisfactions that people see in a marriage, and this isn't universally true, but is really a dissatisfaction in themselves that they don't no mm-hmm. is there, and so if you yes. know yourself and you're allowed to be yourself in your marriage then then it works i in doing research because i th- I had questions for each of my books, the first one was you know how could a Catholic raised girl you know get pregnant before marriage and then then for the second book, it was how could she stay married when it was a shotgun wedding and uh, as it says on one of my peace corps girlfriends called it going from a shotgun wedding to a bulletproof marriage, <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I, I wanted to see how how that was happening, and you could tell in the book that it wasn't, sometimes we were skating on thin ice. I mean, it wasn't always, you know, mm-hmm. great, but I looked up what makes a happy marriage, and traits of a quality relationship is what it's called, and they're like 20 different traits, and as I went over each uh, trait, for example, number twelve, willingness to choose influencing instead of controlling, and yes. um, you know, devotion and quality. To, yeah. Now, here's one that we don't adhere to: uh, devotion and quality. Remembering birthdays and anniversaries. My husband doesn't really remember. Our anniversary is on his birthday, and birthdays were not okay. important to him. When he was growing <laughs> yeah. up, and they're still not important, I mean he doesn 't even know when his birthday comes. he 's surprised when I give him a card so so there are differences yeah. but and we don't really change that much i mean uh, i've gotten so that maybe my birthday isn't that important since I have so many of them, but um, anyway, there are like twenty different characteristics okay. and and I think we I could see where we had. You know, on, on each one, self awareness, you know, inner child mm-hmm. recognition, real, real, realizing the childhood wounds, things like similar values is another big one patience and tolerance. Yes. He's been more patient than me, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I tolerate. So, yeah, so all these things. So, I,
1: I, I think I think you've done a good job of helping our listeners understand what, what, what it takes. You know, uh, I think the fact that you talk about influence versus control and, you know, not trying to change someone, um, all of this is really spelled out in love in any language. Uh, and I think that you really have... You know, demonstrated it yourself, you become your own um, research example. i I wondered, um we have just a couple minutes left to close. and you know you you're you're very candid and honest about you know now being able to really appreciate one another. I feel the same way you know if you came through the pandemic, still loving your husband or wife or significant other, you know that's really saying something um, as we have. But when you, as you enter now your eighth decade, Evelyn Colatore, Mm -hmm. very, very interesting arc to your life, what would you say to a younger self? We have just a minute to go. Anything that you've learned that you would say, wish you'd have known?
2: Well, this will take longer than a minute, but I'll I'll try. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband has influenced me because we do not want to go into our later years ill. So in, since April, I've lost forty-five pounds. I tended to be pudgy in my, and and in the first book, my mother put me on a diet when I was thirteen, and I have been a yo-yo dieter ever since. So uh, together, we're very we, we together we we watch our, our our how we eat and our lifestyle. Uh, I for went walking our three miles today in because I had to be on the interview so early, but. So we watch out for each other, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's the most important. Both our physical and our mental health are are more. We're paying more attention to that. I, I, we didn't uh-huh. do that in our earlier lives for some reason. We just weren't that aware of them. Yes. and and we support yeah. each other in in that way because we know. Oh, and the other thing is, is that we're moving into co housing, which is a movement. Um, Uh, Mission Peak co-housing in Fremont, we just have land and we're going to be building in the last couple of years, where you live in community with other people because that also prolongs your life
1: and your quality of life. Absolutely, and your sensibilities. Well, thank you very much, Evelyn Colatore. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. It all ties into one of the quotes in the book, when we love, we always strive to become better than we are. When we strive to become better than we are, everything around us becomes better, too. Um, uh, Paul Coelho, author of The Alchemist, um, which sold 150 million copies worldwide. Thank you also, um, Evelyn, just for your sharing your wisdom. It's been a joy to have you with us. Thank
2: you. This is one of the best interviews that I've had, and I thank you for the person you are. I hope you continue. You're very, very
1: welcome. Thanks so much, and thanks yeah. to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Ciolino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and love. Merry Christmas to those celebrating. Till next week, thank you for dropping in.
0: Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.